Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You're listening to the MLS Multiplex Podcast with contributors from MLSMultiplex.com. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the MLS Multiplex Podcast. Per usual, it is Drew here with Connor and Josh, but we have a good old friend coming back to join us after a couple weeks off. Uh, San Jose Earthquake supporter Ivan Ornelas is back on the show talking to us about his take through the craziness that was MLS Cup playoffs in the past couple days that we will for sure dive into in this episode. But before we get into that... That crapshoot, I guess, is a way to describe it. That was MLS Cup playoffs. Uh, Ivan, how was your week? Uh, aside from, of course, San Jose Quicks losing, it was pretty good. Uh, a lot of fun soccer to watch, not just in MLS, but in general. And things are looking decent for me personally. Starting a new job, so that's able to help, you know, out with my family. And what we're going through right now with COVID, just like every other family right now, trying to make do with what we can with the situation. And just looking forward to a safe, socially distant Thanksgiving, just with my immediate family, uh, maybe a few Zoom calls with some other relatives. And I hope that that's the plan all of you have that are listening and I'm talking to you today or something else along those safe lines. Unless you're Canadian, in which case you don't celebrate Thanksgiving this weekend because right. October. You already did. <laughs> yes. Um, but I will go next, I guess, and then we'll get to Josh. Uh, it's been an interesting week, to say the least. Uh, MLS playoffs have been unbelievable. Uh, but meanwhile, Toronto went back into lockdown. So I'm stuck in my house again for until, I believe, the 18th of December. So around 28 days, um, which we're getting spiked cases in Ontario. So it's justified, uh, uh, even though they only did it in Toronto and Peel as a part, as opposed to the rest of Ontario, because of course they did. Um, but yeah, MLS Cup playoffs, uh, NBA free agency started and the draft and Serge Ibaka left. <laughs> And Merka Gasol left, and I'm sad. Um, but 
we signed Aaron Baines and we signed Alex Len and we signed Chris Boucher and we signed DeAndre Bembry because, yeah, uh, we don't like Marcus Smart, so use him to get under Marcus Smart's skin. But I guess I should pass this off to the Atlanta Hawks fan who's had a bit of a better week than I have in terms of the free agency period. So, Josh... How are you doing? You are throwing it back with these names right now. Alex Len, former Hawk. DeAndre Bembry, former Hawk. Like You're like bringing me back to this time <laughs> that I will never have to revisit again for a long while because the Atlanta Hawks, who have the most cap space in the NBA, have decided to use it all. So jacked for basketball. The offseason like before the f- every free agent becomes available. We still have tons of cap space next year. It ain't no problem. And by then, we'll be attractive enough to probably attract a, a big name hopefully but uh yeah it was a good weekend for the hawks like i said they actually got players to surround trey young with so for the first time since the 2014-15 season it looks like i'm gonna be excited about atlanta hawks basketball i'm sure drew probably agrees and uh yeah it's spurs also won this weekend they beat city i saw a really fun stat uh is since i think it's since Mourinho's taken over City has outshot Spurs like sixty to seven, but Spurs have outscored City six to two. It's so it's so glorious. It's so glorious. So Spurs are now top of the table. So I'm pretty excited about that. Going to savor that while I can until they lose to Chelsea this weekend. So uh, yeah, all my sports teams things are going great, and of course the playoffs are entertaining as usual. But uh, Drew, how was your week? Your weekend? How are you feeling about the Hawks free agency? Uh, I am very excited about the Hawks. Um, that was. Probably the only good thing that happened in my sports world this weekend because our beloved Atlanta Falcons lost to those New Orleans Aints on Sunday. Who? And I don't. They, I don't know who you're talking about. <laughs> oh, that game. I my ideal. Okay, so into a little glimmer into my sports fandom world. I detest the New Orleans Aints. Like every other team. Like whatever. It's cool, but it's hard to describe how much I dislike that franchise. So my dream season, go 2-14, and 14, beat them twice, get the number one overall pick. But we couldn't even beat them once. <laughs> but we get them in two weeks in Atlanta. The issue is, though, if you win two times, you won't get the number one pick because the Jets will still be worse than you. Doesn't matter. That's true. We need the Jets to pick it up Jets a Jets finally bit. eliminated in week 11 <laughs> despite going 0-10. Yep. So that was a bump in the road. Um, Newcastle United lost again, and they're just the most boring and frustrating team to watch. It's so frustrating to watch uh, Almiron play for that team, but nonetheless. So that was kind of a bummer, but the Hawks kind of swooped in and saved the day, which is really weird to have the Atlanta Hawks be the best thing about my sports weekend right now, especially when the NBA starts in like a month and the Hawks are already Kind of making me excited. Um, I'm cautiously cautiously optimistic because at the end of the day, they are the Atlanta Hawks, and I just can't be optimistic. Too optimistic about Atlanta sports teams. But nonetheless, MLS Cup playoffs were crazy. It was a lot of fun watching as a neutral. Uh, I can't imagine what it was like. I've been watching as a fan, but we will get into that. Um, But before we get MLS Cup playoffs, we had some exciting North American abroad news. Uh, Gio Reyna... Unfortunately, uh, with Dortmund, was on the bench. But more excitingly, Josh Sargent got an assist against Bayern Munich. I think Render Bremen drew 1-1 to against Bayern Munich. Um, and he got a good assist, so that was exciting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
and uh, Jonathan David scored his first goal for Lille, um, so that's good. Yep. Connor, as we're waiting for Alfonso Davies to get healthy, Jonathan David coming in and doing good. Did you see the goal? Was it like a rocket, or what kind of goal were we talking here? I did see the goal. Uh, for some reason, it was actually on my TV, and unfortunately in a French channel, so I didn't understand any of it. But yeah, it was a decent setup. Uh, sort of took a pass, took a pretty nice touch uh, to control the pass around the six-yard box and then just tapped it in past the keeper. Um, but it was good to see him get his first goal. It was the first goal by a Canadian ever in Liga, which is an interesting stat. Uh, he wasn't the only Canadian to score, though. Uh, I believe Atiba Hutchinson and Kyle Lahren both scored for Besiktas. Uh, and I think Atiba Hutchinson also assisted Lahren's goal. So... They're clearly having good seasons, and 36-year-old Atiba Hutchinson continues to age like fine wine. Uh, hopefully one day he ends up in MLS, because I'd love to see that. Or maybe even the Canadian Premier League, where there are rumors that they're going to expand uh, if all things go well, and they can actually have people attend games fully in 2021, which we're getting potentially closer to a vaccine, so I feel like that's getting more and more realistic, maybe? We'll see. Um, but yeah, overall, wasn't a terrible, I say it wasn't terrible. It was an okay weekend for Canadian soccer. And then we get to what sucked about Canadian soccer and I'm not happy, but I'll let everybody else go first, uh, because I've talked, but Alfonso Davies didn't get the golden boy award. Um, Erling Holland won instead, uh, probably fairly deserved, but I want to get your thoughts before I rant about the fact that Davies came third. So, Ivan, what did you think about the vote? And did Davies deserve to win it? Keep in mind, you have a Canadian on the podcast who's a Davies fanboy. So I got to choose my words pretty carefully here. But if I'm being completely objective, I think there's a very strong case that Alfonso Davies should have won this because of the season that he had at an individual level. He was an important co- contributor to Bayern Munich having a dominant 2019-2020 season in all competitions. Of course, they won the treble, and most the most important part of that being the Champions League, which has eluded Bayern Munich since their uh, triumph over their rivals Dortmund, I believe, seven years prior. So good on them. They had a great season, but unfortunately... I guess it wasn't enough for Alfonso Davies to win this award. And you got to wonder if there's some European bias in that, in terms of his ranking in that award, because Erling Holland is a phenomenal player as well. But another player that was ahead of him in the voting came as a surprise to me. I'm, I'm sitting here fuming right now. I hate this so much. Uh, okay, so <laughs> where to begin? Okay, first of all... <laughs> Where Davies finished or Ansu Fadi or whoever else, it doesn't matter because no one's going to look back at 2020 and say, who finished second in, in the Golden Boy Award? No one cares. Erling Holland won. All right, that's first. Second of all, I think we're severely underrating what Holland has accomplished. He scored, it's, it's one of these two, I can't remember the exact stat, 30 goals in 30 games or 40 goals in 40 games, something like that. That is just freaking unreal. That is unreal. And you know what wins games? Goals win games. It's the only thing that matters in soccer. Literally nothing else matters at the end of the day. So that's the other thing. And then lastly, I don't think there's any European bias because 
these are the same people that are calling Alfonso Davies the best left back in the world, which that's in a debate in and of itself. But you can't say that they're being biased about him not being second or third or whatever when they're also saying he's the best left back in the world, which may or may not even be correct because he hasn't even played at Bayern starting for a full season. He didn't even play for them the entire season because he was in and out with whoever else. He had to win the job midway through the year. So that's another important aspect of it. Did he win a treble? Yeah, of course. Now, I think Holland would also win a treble if he had Robert Lewandowski on his team and Thomas Muller and Joshua Kimmich and Manuel Neuer in goal. So this whole you know Davies versus Holland thing doesn't make any sense to me. I think Holland deserved it. Maybe Davies can win next year or whatever, but also at the end of the day, it doesn't matter who finished second or 15th or third or eighth. doesn't matter. We're only going to remember who won this award. I don't think people are pissed about the fact that Holland won. I think he deserved it. I think it's just the fact that Davies finished second to Ansu effing Fatty. The guy didn't even start for Barcelona. And Davies got a world-class assist uh, against Barca. I I just don't understand how Fatty could have gotten second over Davies. Like, I just don't understand it. When you look at what Davies accomplished, and yes, he had to fight for a spot, but at the same time, he won that spot. And Fati, is he even a starter currently? Well, he's injured now, so that doesn't really matter, but... Well, the, the award isn't awarded on how they're doing right now. It's how they did over the year. The, to me, what's important in terms of putting Fadi over Davies is that he scored and assisted more than Davies, and he's even younger. He's two years younger than Davies, which it is he's the Golden Boy winger, Award. So, so You're comparing a winger to a fullback. All right. Well, if I was going to do that, then I wouldn't even include defenders in this award, probably, unless they were like really good. And defenders, and for the most part, they peak at a later age than attackers. So I'm about to kick you off this call. All right. <laughs> this, how, I don't understand how you can justify Fati being ahead of Davies Cause he's, when you look at what Davies accomplished. Because he's better. Davies, Davies almost had Barcelona's best player leave. Davies was on a better team. But it's not about yes. who's on a better team. It's about who's a better individual. He was on a better team playing better than Ansu Fati. I mean, yeah, I think Fati would be great if he was on Bayern. And I think Davies wouldn't be as good if he was playing for Barcelona. Fati, Fati wouldn't be, even be on the first team if he were on Bayern Munich. Look at the wingers they have on that team. Uh, that's Serge fine. Nabi, that's fine. Leroy Sané, Ivan Perisic. That, that's fine. But if, if Fati was a starter for Bayern, he would be doing better at Bayern than he would be at Barcelona. Because it's a better run club. <laughs> okay, sure. But that doesn't ignore the fact that Davies was playing better than Ansu Fati. Like, I, I just don't understand how anybody could justify that. I honestly don't. But, Drew, what are your thoughts on the award before Josh and I go at each other's necks again? Um, not a whole lot. I'm just sitting here thinking about what a team would be like if you had Robert Lewandowski and Erling Holland <laughs> on the same team, which I think, I don't know, if oh that should God. be like, yeah, that shouldn't be allowed, which thankfully it's not a thing. So that's good. Um, but could I think be. Josh, it could, oh, dude, I, when I was watching the Dortmund Bayern Munich game, Taylor Twellman made like a comment that like when Lewandowski leaves, they're just going to like get Holland to throw him in there, which is just a terrible dream to have but anyway i think josh makes an interesting point because like when you think of like look who alfonso davies has around him right 
Like, he's, Bayern Munich's just ridiculous. So maybe given the team that Alfonso Davies is on, having these star players around him, maybe that knocks it down a little bit. But again, at the end of the day, I think both these players would give anything to have Alfonso Davies' trophy case right now. Like, they would rather have a Champions League than finish second in Golden Boy or whatever the award is called. So, again, all really good young players. Where is there, like, any qualifications for this award? Like, what's the age limit in this award? It's a 22? It's a U21 award. 21. I, I do also want to point out Ansu Fadi has more goals and assists than Lionel Messi did at this point in his career. So that's another key aspect if we're going to frame how this is. Yeah, like, that's, that's that is pretty good. It's a good way of putting it, Drew. Okay, but so if we're giving an award based on under 21s, why are we giving more of a like a higher opinion of someone who's 17 as opposed to someone who's 20 when they're playing for the same award? Because it's like more if, impressive when you're 3 years younger. Okay, but if why? Like why are we giving an award? Why don't be, we just be, wait a couple of years? Because it's hard to be like, good at soccer when you're 17. So the fact that Fadi is so good at 17 is like even more impressive than being good at 20. I'm 21, and I'm not even good at soccer, man. I just talk about it. <laughs> yeah, imagine how I feel. I'm like a half a decade older than all of you. <laughs> yeah, you're 25. I'm 20, so you are. I'm 25 as well. Oh, never mind. See, imagine how Ivan and I feel. <laughs> Two old men. Two old men. Uh, but, yes, I'm very, very pissed at the voting and I think Davies should have come second because I don't think Ansu Fati was that good last season but we could talk about this for the next hour and instead we have lots of MLS to talk about uh so wrapping so say, up golden this boy, is the, the golden boy multiplex podcast now yes the golden boy multiplex podcast uh, I'm sure the people at fansided would be over the moon if we did that <laughs> but <laughs> Jonathan David uh, also finished 17th, so good for him. He had a great season at Gank. Um, and then Sergino Dest finished 14th. I didn't realize he's still under 21. Uh, so, wow. Um, but, yeah, it's, I think Golden Boy, everybody has their issues with it. Uh, myself, particularly with this year. But let's move on and let's start talking some actual MLS do we want to start with the good news or the bad news? I think we should start with the bad news and then cover the good news next. All right. New York City FC and mm-hmm. David Villa. I'll guess I'll get it going. So earlier today, the Athletic published an article covering the uh, in, it's titled as an alleged harassment case which was reported by Skylar Badillo, a uh, former intern uh, assistant trainer, I believe. But anyway, she was an in- she was interning at New York City FC while she was going to school, and she reported that she was touched inappropriately numerous times, so it wasn't just once, by Davi Villa during his time at New York City FC. During this time, while this was being brushed under the rug, Davi Villa, of course, was being the superstar of New York City FC, one of the superstars of Major League Soccer. He's considered probably their best player in their short history so far. And he, until this story comes out, hopefully, which will change that drastically, had a very squeaky clean and positive image 
especially compared to some other stars, including former teammates who struggled more in MLS. So this shows that while MLS is trying to be progressive on multiple fronts in terms of gender, race, sexuality, and so forth, that there's still issues that need to be addressed, and it needs to be addressed now. And the fact that this was allowed to go on, and we're just learning about this now, long after the Bia, David Bia has since retired and left the club, is very disappointing and infuriating. Yeah, I think reading the article, you sort of get an idea of what her life was like and sort of why she waited this long to sort of come out with these allega- um, oh, yeah. allegations. Like she was really inspired by what happened at the Washington football team and the uh, employees. Um, I'm not sure exactly what their positions were, but them coming out with sexual harassment uh, allegations. And I recommend reading this article. It's very illuminating as to what it's like in a workplace having to deal with that and the issues she faced like it wasn't just David Villa who was involved in this both the head trainer and uh the head of interns for the trainers I guess um yes it was three people including David Villa yeah so they were all complicit I guess and I in a way I'd say involved uh but it's I struggle to put it into words because of how disappointing and at the same time not shocking this is. Um, Hopefully New York City do more. Uh, I will ask Josh and Drew for their thoughts first before we talk about whatever Brian tweeted today uh, because what the hell. Um, But Josh, Drew, I don't know which one of you want to go first, but what were your sort of thoughts on the allegations and the article in general? Yeah, I mean, you never you never want this to be a situation for a, a team you care about or a league you care about. I mean, you never want it to be a situation in general, but even more so. And so it's just disappointing. I'm, I'm more disappointed in the fact that NYFC – hasn't done enough about the situation. I mean, they, in the article, it outlines some of the steps they're taking, but to me, it's not enough. They, uh, w- One of the two supervisors to Badillo is still working for the club, and that, that angers me. I think that person uh, should not be allowed to be working for the club anymore. The other left, so it's not like that person was fired either. So that's also really disappointing. And, you know, just some of the reactions to her as well. I, I remember actually seeing her on Twitter back in July when she first when she first started tweeting about the situation and you know of course people are going to rush to Via's defense because he's this idol to them and it just it sucks because that's not that's not the stance that I think people should be taking I think they should be you know supporting the victim as much as they can so that is super disappointing and I just I really hope for the league's sake, for Badillo's sake, for the club's sake, the New York City FC responds to this quickly. Again, they haven't even said anything all day, which is frustrating to me. Can we out the two people whose names it is from the article? Because I don't think that they should be have their names hidden, and I think everybody should know about what they did. Uh, yes, they lost that right once they were known to be involved. So go ahead. Yeah, so Kevin Christensen is the one who left, or Christensen, Kevin Christen, 
uh, is the one who left the club. And Melvin Pamplona, uh, I believe I'm saying that correctly, is the one who still works at NYCFC. Uh, so, Drew, what were your sort of thoughts on the allegations, the entire article in general? What are your sort of feelings on this? Yeah, I mean, kind of the same thing as we have said. Um, for credit to Pablo from The Athletic um, for providing that story. I think a lot we needed to read it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think Ivan even mentioned it in a league, and Josh talked about it in a league you care about so much, um, seeing this continue to happen in MLS that I think prides itself so much on being progressive and being inclusive for this to happen. Um, it, it sucks. Yeah, like it's just there's no other way to put it. Um, hopefully, you know, NYCFC steps it up and really hopefully this article brings to light and kind of forces some accountability both with the club and with the league. Um, but yeah, like Connor said, I mean, this unfortunately isn't a new thing. It kind of feels like, you know, every couple months it's a new thing with a new team. Um, so it's a shame to see it finally hit MLS, but it's just a reminder that we, you know, just involved in the league in any space need to be better, um, giving, you know, voice and a platform for victims and making sure that their voice is heard. So, yeah, nothing, not a whole lot more to add. It sucks, and hopefully Major League Soccer and NYCFC um, really have some accountability. And, yeah, credit to Pablo again for bringing this issue to light because I think – it kind of got forgotten about, like the tweet happened a couple months ago. So credit to him, the athletic, for bringing this back up again and kind of forcing our attention on it again. Yes, and if you see this, speak up is what you should really take away from this because you don't want these people to continue to suffer and deal with what uh, Skylar had to deal with. So speak up, stop harassment and any sort of issues in the workplace like this, um, but We'll move on. We'll talk about something a bit more positive uh, surrounding my favorite MLS team in Toronto FC being the first. Don't we want to mention first uh, a player or two reactions? Yes. Uh, We should probably mention that because, oh, God. What what is he thinking? Um, So Fred Brillant, even though his name is sound is spelled close to brilliant, was anything but when he... So first, the initial tweet was from Julian Gressel, who quoted the story from The Athletic, saying, I had a WBA jersey hanging in my basement from one of the times I played against him. Took it down immediately after reading the story. Absolutely shocking and unacceptable. And now we can spend a lot of time on whether this should be shocking, but the point is that Julian Gressel knows this was wrong, like any good person would, and he acted upon it, and he's using his platform to promote a positive message, which has been attempted to be hijacked by Fred Brillant, a player who I don't even think has his own Wikipedia page. Don't judge him too quick. You have only one version of facts. So essentially that's gaslighting. Whether or not that the legal process is all caught up is irrelevant because her truth is her truth, and what she's going through is important and the of all the cases of sexual harassment that have ever been known to us only a very small fraction of them have been proven false so to act on that very small percentage and assume that someone is doing this for attention or to screw someone's life over no their life has been screwed over because of these inappropriate actions and fred is completely in the wrong yeah it definitely wasn't a very good tweet from I believe is starting center back on DC United now. 
and he was a member of the NYCFC when this was happening. Um, but it should be mentioned that not every NYCFC player was silent about this. There were people who were supportive uh, at the time of it happening and who were messaging her privately and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, Brian, wake up. Uh, this is 2020 now. No matter if he's a saint or not, if he did this, he's still in the wrong, and you can accept that. But let's talk about something a little bit more positive uh, in specifics, as I just mentioned, with my favorite uh, MLS team, Toronto FC, being the first to partner with Black Players for Change. Uh, It's the organization headed up by Justin Morrow, as well as a few other MLS players, and I believe Josie Althor is very involved with it. Uh, It has 170 uh, member players, I believe. Uh, and they're really pushing for equality and, um, rights and equal rights and everything like that. Um, but they had a partnership with Toronto FC where a portion of 50, 50 tickets, um, funds, uh, will go towards the new program unite as well as MLSE, which is the group that owns Toronto, F- uh, Toronto FC, tr- the Toronto Raptors, Toronto Maple Leafs, And I believe they now own the Argos, uh, Toronto Argonauts, which are the Canadian football team. Um, They are selling Adidas Unite, like that, the Adidas Unite capsule collection, of which a portion will also go towards the partnership. Uh, I'm not exactly sure which foundation or what foundations or what initiatives this will go to, but it is the first team to partner with Black Pairs for Change. I think that's really, uh, I think, important for the league and for our black players for changes they sort of push for equality but i want to get all your thoughts on just this entire partnership in general and whether or not it should happen with more teams and where you sort of stand on this so drew we'll start with you what are your sort of thoughts on this partnership between toronto fc and the bpc uh do you think they are partnering enough or do you think that they should do some more and do you think any other teams should join in this partnership which will extend uh for the entire playoffs yeah i mean it was like you said kind of in a pretty dark damper day of mls news um this is always something good i think you know mls is back was a really awesome platform for players to express their thoughts and their feelings um with you know the black lives matter movement all the protests this is a really good way of continuing that i think past all the hype and all the attention that you know, I think the tournament brought with players kneeling for the first time since sports have really been back. Um, you know, the Black Lives Matter shirts and everything like that. So credit to Toronto FC. I think this is wonderful. I think this is the first step in hopefully a lot of other teams getting on this board. Um, yeah, I mean, it's awesome. Like you mentioned, you know, donating to this, putting literally money where their mouth is. So I think it's awesome. I think and hope that it's going to inspire other clubs around the league to do the same. But yeah, awesome. Yeah, obviously an awesome step. Um, as MLS kind of tries to work for equality and working outside of just their soccer soccer bubble, um, trying to find equality in the country. So credit for Toronto FC, and hopefully this bleeds over to the other Canadian teams and in the States as well, and then eventually over to Major League Baseball, NFL, and things like that. So hopefully this is the first step in a lot of really good in the sports world here in North America. Yeah, I'm very proud of Toronto FC for taking these next steps to give black players for change a starting point to help making that change that they desire to do. And I think 
over these next few months before the start of the MLS 2021 season. I hope that every MLS club in the league, including the new kids on the block, Austin FC, can be a part of this in some way, shape, or form. And there's no reason they shouldn't be, especially given the year 2020 has been in terms of social justice and discussions around racial inequalities and disparities across multiple levels and segments of society. So this is a step in the right direction. Yeah, I don't really have much to add. I really like what Toronto is doing. And, and you know, like these guys have said, I really hope more MLS teams do something similar. And, and yeah, hopefully other leagues do similar uh, similar things as well. And that's really going to help, you know, like Ivan said, put their, put their money where their mouths are. All right. And with that, I think we should start talking about... I think that sums up what this past week in MLS is because there are no words to describe whatever the hell just happened in every single playoff game this weekend uh, apart from maybe the Nashville or Inter-Miami game because that was just a massacre on Nashville's behalf. Um, So why don't we start with the playing games uh, because those happen first. Specifically, let's start with... Do we want to start with the boring game or do we want to start with the exciting game? Let's go with the uh, the exciting game. Let's go in chrono- chronological order. All right, let's go chronological order. New England Revolution 2 versus the Montreal Impact 1. What were your thoughts on the game and everything around the match? How do you think everybody played? Uh, Drew, we're going to start with you. Yeah, so um, I got, so first off, prediction-wise, I did get this pick right, as I don't know who I'll be picked for playing games, but I did pick New England to win, so that was a good start to my bracket. Um, but honestly, I thought this was going to be a lot worse than 2-1. I wasn't expecting this to be a close finish at all. I was expecting New England to win 2-0, 3-1, something like that. Um, and then when Montreal pulled that one back, I can't remember what minute it was. I don't remember all the specifics about these games, because like you said, it was just a crazy weekend in MLS. But I th- Montreal made it a lot closer than I thought. And then Gustavo Bo obviously got that game-winning goal, which I think Bo is kind of working himself back into the revolution after injury. So when you have these playmakers like him, Carly's heel, um, Adam Buxa, which we've talked a lot about whether or not Buxa is actually living up to the hype or not. But Gustavo Bo, that's why you make him that DP. That's why you give him all that money so he can make big-time goals and big-time moments. So I didn't think it was going to be as close as it was. Um Thierry Henry is still looking for that first MLS playoff win, so that eluded him for another year. But I think, I don't know how much further New England can go. Um, I don't know how far I picked them in my bracket, given who they have to play next in the Philadelphia Union. But my main takeaway was that it was not as close. It was closer than I thought it was going to be, but difference makers, Gustavo Bo, lived up to the hype in that game, had a really good goal to win it, so... I thought it was an exciting game. It was the first in what was a pretty crazy weekend of MLS. Uh, Ivan, what did you think about New England's win over Montreal? I think the the playing games are going to be pretty interesting because the way that the league was set up, of course, we knew that with 14 teams in the East and 12 teams in the West, that we were going to have more teams come through the East. So knowing that... These four teams, no matter what happens, if they survive, they're going up against one of the two title contenders in the East. 
uh, either Philadelphia Union or Toronto. I think it was important for whoever advanced to show that they were capable of progressing further, at least putting up a fight. And I think both teams that won did, but New England Revolution had to get through a wall in the Montreal defense uh, named Clement Diop as the goalkeeper. Yeah, if nobody names Clement Diop as their player of the week, I'm going to be pissed. But yeah, I think the defending and the marking on Bo's goal was just absolutely shocking. How you let give him that much space that late in the match, I will never understand and just dreadful for Montreal. Uh, but that's my thoughts on the game. Josh, what are your thoughts on the New England-Montreal game? I thought this went exactly how it should have gone. New England has better players. So that that literally made the difference. Bo made the, the game-winning play. Between him and Carlos Heel, I mean, those two really were the difference makers in this thing. Montreal don't have the talent. I mean, even if they had Wanyama or Piet, it wasn't going to make a difference because these two teams met four or five times this year, and New England won all but one of those. So I think at the end of the day, this this was probably going to turn out this way. Uh, and as for Diop as player of the week, he probably shouldn't have let that goal in. So I'm going to go ahead and say that it's okay that he doesn't get player of the week for at least at least for me since his team lost. Oh yeah, no, like MLS team of the week, no. But I think one of us who should be our player of the week considering we have four players of the week this week. Uh, and I don't think I don't think he could have done anything on that goal. I think that was a brilliant strike by bull but let's move on to the next game because we're 35 minutes in and we still have to preview three games and get through every other mls game of which i don't know how to describe a few of them but nashville versus inter miami this should be pretty quick uh absolute clinic from nashville they just outplayed uh, miami completely blaze matweedy just doesn't care i don't think like at all anymore um because I don't know what he was doing on that Dax McCarty goal, but that was just shocking. Um, it should be noted. Yeah, imagine winning the. Oh, sorry. Imagine winning the World Cup in 2018, and two years later, you're the second best defensive midfielder in the game with Dax McCarty in it. Like that is gotta be embarrassing for Blaise Matuidi if he did care. Fair, uh, but it should be noted that Air Miami were without both of the Higuains and LGP due to COVID. So they were missing some pretty big pieces. Um, but yeah, that was that was a shocking performance. Josh, what are your thoughts on this match? Uh, and where do Miami go from here? Again, just like uh, New England, Montreal, I thought this game went exactly how it should have. You know, Nashville is just a better team. And even if Miami had the Higuain brothers and LGP, it wouldn't have made a difference. Maybe the scoreline might have been a little kinder to Miami. But at the end of the day, these players don't really know what they're doing because Diego Alonso doesn't know what he's doing. So that's, you know, you question where do they go from here. Alonso's got to figure out what he wants to do with this team. And I've seen some talk about, like, tearing down this roster and, and trying to redo things and shape it in Alonso's image because they brought Alonso in at the last second. I don't think that's really possible because this is MLS and they've already got a lot of huge key pieces. The only things that they can change at this point are sort of fringe depth players. So I don't know how different this team is going to be next year, in which case it's all going to be about what Diego Alonso can do with these guys. And if he can't get these players to play, then he's not going to get any results. And at the end of the day, you know, we talked about this last week, 
uh, when we previewed the game. But Nashville is just a better coach team. The players buy in, and you can tell by their efforts on the field. And it was in stark contrast to what Miami did, especially with Matuidi just not really trying. So this went exactly how I thought it was going to go. Drew, you got any thoughts on this game? Um, not a whole lot, except kind of on the opposite side of my thoughts on New England and Montreal. I thought this game was not going to be 3 nothing. I just didn't see Nashville scoring 3 on Miami. Um, but yeah, I mean, Dax McCarty, what a goal. And just all that, yeah, just an incredible game. I think most, I think we all picked Nashville to win that one. So wasn't too much of a surprise to see them win. I agree with Josh. I don't think the Aguayans or LGP would have made that much of a difference. Maybe it's two nothing or something like that. Um, I didn't really see anything that made me think Miami was a threat in their final third. Um, so credit to Nashville's defense. That's kind of been their story all along is having such a good defense and it showed again against Miami, and I think it will show again next game against Toronto. I'm very excited for that matchup. I think Nashville's defense is proving to be very good and useful in this season, so I'm excited to see how they can do it um, against one of the best teams in the league. But yeah, not a whole lot that wasn't expected. I wasn't expecting 3-0, but for sure was expecting Nashville to win. And as far as where you go from here, I think Maybe we need to pump the brakes a little bit because this is an expansion side. I know their expectations were through the roof given who they signed and just the branding and the talk about Miami being the next Atlanta United and LAFC, but this is an expansion side. Um, You're not supposed to win MLS Cup in your first year. So I think Josh hit the nail on the head. It's more about the manager, not so much bringing in new players or selling old players. Um, Obviously, when we talk about Matuidi, he's got to do better. He's got to give effort. He has that massive name on the back of his jersey, a World Cup in his trophy case, and when you're getting outrun by Dax McCarty, that's just not good enough. So it's just a culture change, manager change, not not a manager change, just a culture change, and Alonzo's got to figure it out. But I think not a whole lot. We don't need to be reacting too much yet because expansion side and not – maybe the expectations were a little too high for Miami this year. But, yeah, Nashville credit to him. Uh, good defense wins again, and I'm excited to see how much further they can go. Yeah, you're giving me way too much credit because I definitely picked Miami to win that game. Um, oh, because, man, you got smacked. Well, I did say predict this before both Higuain's and LGP were out with COVID. That's uh, fair. But okay. at the same time, how much of an impact Still got really have had in that absolute blank show? Uh, LGP been, is the best say? score of those three, too, which is just shocking. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, the first ever goal of Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Do you remember that goal, Josh? That wonder goal he had against Dallas? Oh, absolutely. I, I was there. I remember when <laughs> Joseph dummy, and I didn't even know what he did. I was like, what is that? LGP like swung and missed. Right. In the uh, real quick. <laughs> so uh, this was a battle between the two expansion teams here in 2020. So whoever won this game was going to have an immense amount of pride, and whoever lost this game was going to have a few more things to think about this offseason because – especially in the result that did happen where Inter-Miami had a lot more of the spotlight, had a lot more expectations than Nashville because of David Beckham and the stars they had and all that. So if Nashville, with a less big-named loaded team, is able to go further in the playoffs than you, then you have to reassess the quality of players and the type of players that you're bringing in. Because there are some effective players in Inter-Miami that don't get talked about a lot, like Lewis Morgan, for example. So there's more to this league than just the star players. 
Yes, it's a very interesting situation there, and we'll see what they do this offseason. Hopefully, during maybe the offseason, we could have Alex Winley come on, who's a fellow contributor at MLS Multiplex who knows Inter-Miami very well, and talk about some of the rumors about Olivier Giroud coming to Miami, which will never happen. But we have to move on because we have taken 45 minutes to get to where we are already. Um, and we have a lot of games to go. Right, right. Uh, in particular. And this one's a doozy. Yes. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's probably the best way to sum it up. Um, Orlando versus NYCFC uh, will ignore everything that happened until Rouen's goal uh, red card because what was he thinking uh, and then we'll breeze right by that and go straight to the penalties what was that wow that was insane I think we do have to revisit the rules here because according to the weird rules that MLS has sometimes so because of when there were out of subs Orlando was out of they subs, were not out of subs and Oh, they were not no. out of so, Oh, dang. Then that's ridiculous. The rule... Okay, go all ahead. Right. Uh, everybody is very confused by this. Basically, the rule is, and you can very you can actually base this very well off of the what um, the Netherlands did in the 2010 World Cup, I believe. It might have been 2014. 2014. 2014 World Cup. Yes. So they substituted Tim Krul in with, what, two minutes, three minutes to go in the match yes. for, I believe, uh-huh. Jesper Sillison. Uh, mm-hmm. I might be wrong on that. You're right. But they were allowed to make that change because it was still an extra time. Once the final okay. whistle is blown, you're not allowed to make any changes, no matter if you have a substitute left. So because the final whistle had blown, Orlando weren't allowed to take Schlegel, who ended up having to don the gloves. They weren't allowed to take him out because he wasn't a part of the 11 or 10 because Ruan got the red card. He wasn't a part of the 10 when the final whistle was blown. Is a very simple matter of it, but I'm going to assume everybody who's listening to this podcast has seen what's happened. Uh, so let's just talk about how absolutely ridiculous this was. Um, we'll start with Josh, because why not? And you're not talking very much today. Um, <laughs> what were your thoughts on the shootout and everything that happened after it and the fact that this was the most MLS penalty shootout of all time? I loved every single second of it. It was so much fun to watch. And I, I for those who watched the, the Portland-Dallas game last night, the Taylor Twelman and John Champion talked about it a bit. But I thought Taylor Twelman brought up a really good point. The refs ended up getting it right. So even though it took a half hour to do the penalty shootout, and even though there were issues with bringing on a backup keeper as a substitute and giving the yellow to Gaese in the first place, which got him sent off because of coming off his line because of a rule that the rest of the world has moved on from, they got it right. They sent, they eventually got it right. So thank, thank God that's what happened, and there were no and because big they got it right. Because they got it right, they're not allowed to referee any more games throughout the playoffs. Well. Now, they, the way they handled the situation was extremely poor, and it was very obvious the ref crew did not really understand what was happening, even though they did end up getting it right. I don't so, think that quite cuts it. I mean, that's. <laughs> they, I mean, at least MLS did something about it, thankfully, or I guess pro referees. At least they at least True. they kept this crew from coming back. But True. 
but yeah, no, I loved every single second of it. Um, I told you guys before we started recording, but uh, the Spurs game was also happening at the same time, and it, it happened in the middle of all the good stuff from the Orlando NYCFC game because the goals came at the beginning, and then the craziness happened at the end. So just so much fun, so, so much fun. I, I wrote about it in my newsletter today as well. I covered this game a lot because I just had such a blast, and it just... It, it makes it so easy to argue that MLS is the most entertaining soccer in the league, soccer league in the world, because it's not the best. No one's no one's going to argue that when you've got all those great leagues in Europe and all the talent that's overseas. But man, you will never find something as bonkers as this. You just won't. Nothing nothing beats it. It is the most entertaining soccer league on the planet. Oh man, it's definitely very entertaining, and I'm glad we have witnessed this, and I'm glad it had the outcome it did with Schlegel, the unlikely hero helping Orlando win the game. And he was progressively getting better with each save. He was completely useless on the first one. And then he guessed right the next one. And then he made the save. I feel like we're giving him a little too much credit because that was an absolutely dreadful penalty. And he is very obviously not a keeper. Uh, I have played a little bit of (laughs) of goalkeeping in my time. And the goal is to make yourself as big as possible, not curl up into a little ball like he did before every penalty. Um, but he did save it. So I'll give him that. Uh, Ivan, before we get your thoughts, why don't we get Drew's thoughts on this shootout and everything that happened surrounding the referees? (laughs) I just, I don't know what to say anymore after that penalty shootout. Like, I don't think anything will ever beat it MLS wise this playoffs, but Drew, what are your thoughts? The only thing I have to say about that shootout is that I love MLS so much. Like, that was the weirdest, most bonkers thing. I think we've said it before, and I don't have a whole lot of analysis about the game itself. I don't remember anything that happened past <laughs> the first penalty being took, which, for, let's talk about Maxi Morales taking oh the first penalty God. kick for NYCFC. And Josh had a really good tweet. He's, like, historically the worst penalty kick shooter in Major League Soccer. And let's line him up to take the first shot. So... NYCFC and I picked NYCFC so when all this was happening I was like I'm gonna do it I'm gonna get lucky I'm gonna have the perfect bracket didn't work out um so yeah Max Morales taking that first hit the crossbar so that was just bonkers but I mean when we talk about I know MLS isn't Europe okay we could have a whole debate if it ever will be Europe but I had more fun watching this janky bonkers penalty shootout than I think I've ever had watching a European game like, I, I just don't think there's anything that beats MLS. These single knockout, these single game playoffs are so much fun. I don't think we've had one boring playoff game. We've had a couple beat downs, but they've been stunning goals. So the first round, this, this penalty shootout is going to take the cake as the headliner, probably for the whole playoffs. I don't think we'll ever see anything like this again. I think between this and the double post, we've had some pretty memorable penalty shootouts in Major League Soccer history. So it was a lot of fun. Uh, you can't even put into words what just happened. So where Orlando City goes from here, I think this win, honestly, I think it pushes them pretty far because how do you get out of this and how do you not have all the momentum in the world after that winning that shootout? So it was fun. It was a lot of crazy. I couldn't imagine watching it being an Orlando City or an NYCFC supporter because um, I had anxiety just watching it. I don't care about either of these two teams. So it was very MLS. It was awesome. And... Yeah, we talked we talked a lot about PR pro refs making the decision they made, and there's not a whole lot to add. It was just crazy, and it was very Major League Soccer-y. 
Hey, one more thing before we move on to the Columbus Red Bulls game. Uh, this literally just popped up on my Twitter timeline, and thankfully it did because it was posted five hours ago. But John Boy, who does excellent breakdowns of Major League Baseball and other sports, has done a breakdown of this exact penalty shootout. So I, I have favorited that tweet, and I will be watching it first thing as soon as we're done recording. <laughs> All right. Well, go and check that out, I guess. Um, but... Yes, that penalty shootout, I don't think we'll ever see anything like it, but every time I say that, MLS seems to top it. So, Top five craziest game in MLS history? It's got to be up there. Um, it's up there. I don't okay. know. What would you have on that list? I think the Toronto-Montreal, um, that second leg, has to oh, be yeah. on there with what happened there. Right. But Although I'm very biased, so maybe it shouldn't be. Um does the double post, and we'll talk about Jorge Villafania's <laughs> penalty record in a second. Um, I don't know. It's it's a good question, but let's move on to right. yeah, let's move on to the next match, which is a little bit more calm, I guess, in a way. But it was also very and close. it ended three to two, and it's calm for this set of games. That just tells exactly. you what this weekend was like. Exactly, um, but. Columbus beat New York Red Bull 3-2. to uh, Caden Clark scored a goal. Um, New York kind of made it interesting the last second, but I think Columbus dominated. Uh, Gerard Stuber did make his debut as New York Red Bull manager, which ultimately wasn't enough. But what were your thoughts on the match? And we'll start with you, Ivan. Uh, what did you sort of think about Columbus's performance, Red Bull's performance, and everything in between? Um, we got to start with Caden Clark, who has impressed so many people this season. Uh, he had to have been involved, for sure. It was just written in the stars. And I think it showed, it's like this game was New York Red Bulls looking at like a different future alter ego of itself, of what they thought they would have been so many times in the last decade. But Columbus Crew are looking like that more complete team that has eluded New York Red Bulls. And they're close, you know, considering how low-seeded they were and compared to what they're normally used to in uh, these MLS playoffs, which they always seem to make, even though they don't always go far. I think uh, they put up a good fight, but Columbus Crew, the rightful winner of this game, one of the better teams in MLS, even though – they fell a little further behind uh, Toronto and Philadelphia in the regular season. They will give either of those teams problems in the playoffs. All right. Uh, Josh, how about you go next? Yeah, not much to add from this. Columbus is just a better team and they, they played, they outplayed Red Bulls for most of it. It was just towards the end that, uh, you know, the Red Bulls really kind of made things interesting with sort of a late goal. Uh, I, think it's really strange that struber made his debut in the playoff game i don't know why you just don't wait until the end of the season i mean that's just so strange to me i don't really know what kind of effect he could have had over the game clearly nothing if they ended up losing anyway so i don't know maybe hindsight is 2020 and they should have just waited but to me that is extremely odd but yeah columbus is moving on rightfully so drew you got anything to add not a whole lot i think it was New York made it interesting there at the end. I want to say that 
Eloy Rue made a really good, not a really good save. I remember he made a save toward the end. I think it was a pretty poor finish on the Red Bulls player part. But it got exciting there toward the end, and I was totally expecting New York to tie it up because that's just the way it's worked this weekend. So I think you guys hit the nail on the head. Columbus deserved to go through. Um, better team, and I think Ivan makes up a really good point. I think this team's going to give a lot of teams headaches in the playoffs. It'll be Toronto, Philadelphia, or maybe they make a run to MLS Cup. We don't know. So, um yeah, I think Columbus deservedly went through. I did make the mistake of picking the Red Bulls, so I'm kind of slapping myself on the head in that one, picking the Red Bulls in the playoff. Never a good decision. So, yeah, Columbus deservedly went through. Um, but, Ivan, it is your time not to shine, but <laughs> just I don't even know what to do. Sporting KC beating San Jose 3 nothing at penalty kicks after a 3-3 draw. So I've been, I guess, I don't even know where to start. I, I, I was stressed out watching yeah. this game, so I couldn't even imagine if it was yeah. Atlanta United. So I don't, oh know, my gosh. I don't know what you went through in that game. So what were your takeaways from San Jose and Sporting KC? Well, for a Bay Area team, being the eighth seed in the playoffs is an unfamiliar territory. You may, if you basketball fans may recall, in 2007, the eighth seed Golden State Warriors knocking out the one-seed Dallas Mavericks in the first round of the NBA playoffs. I thought that maybe, just maybe, the Quakes could have had a similar dose of magic in this game. And they were one Tamilia away from pulling it off. Maybe the Mavericks needed Tamilia like 13 years ago. Who knows? But anyway, it was in a loss, other than maybe making a penalty, I couldn't have asked for much more. I think San Jose Earthquakes did a good job fighting back despite – conceding a goal late on, I mean, early on, uh, that was a bit of a frustrating part for me, but then they were able to respond and they went to halftime 2-1 up. It was a roller coaster game from there. They went 3-2 down again because Sporting Kansas City is a silent assassin in this season. They don't get a lot of love, but they have effective players and they have effective depth. They're playing without Graham Zussi and Felipe Gutierrez who are out for the season. And, Players have stepped in, like Gadi Kinda and Jalen Lindsay. So credit to them for having the numbers to progress forward. And it looked like they were going to win it in regulation. Wando had some Goonie time magic in him to make it 3-3. Chris Wondolowski is an incredible human being on and off the pitch. So I am so happy that he had his moment in this game. It wouldn't have been San Jose Earthquakes making a return to the playoffs and making a much better account of themselves than they did the last time, losing 5-0 to Vancouver in 2017. Unfortunately, the penalty shootout couldn't have gone much worse for them. But overall, I think they put up a good fight. And questions will be asked over Matias Almeida and Chris Wondolowski's intentions in the offseason. And I think that they're really trying to pressure the ownership to make more moves than they have this season. Chris Wondolowski, he wants to play one more season, but he deserves to play with an ownership group that's going to help put the best team possible around them to have one last push for an MLS Cup before his time is up. Yeah, it's well, it was an interesting game, I think. Um, you know, you look at the Busio goal late and how much drama that caused, and you look at the Wando goal, which what kind of defending was that? Um, because there is no way that that should have happened. Um, but, yeah, it's just it was a really interesting match. Uh, I think Wando will likely come back next season. Uh, we'll see. He said that he does want to come back, as you mentioned. 
but again, there's no guarantees. Hopefully he can break Landon Donovan's record because that would be pretty cool. Um, but yeah, I think the penalty shootouts probably what we should talk about the most because Tim Milia is something else. Um, but before we talk about that, why don't we get your thoughts, Josh and Drew, about this match and how everything played out. So Josh, we'll start with you before we hit Drew. What did you sort of think about this match and Sporting KC and San Jose's game? Because Sporting KC were also playing without Alan Polito. I I loved it. Thought it was a very fun match. Uh, the the shootout wouldn't have happened if San Jose was even half a percent better at defending set pieces. I mean, that's really the reason why they put themselves in the hole in the first place. That's why Sporting Kansas City scored their first two goals. So that's really unfortunate that they're just not better at set pieces and, and all that happened at the end. Uh, Wando scoring at the end was perfect because I made my dad and brother who were watching the game with me, I made them read that athletic article from earlier in the week, that feature on Wando. So it was good for them to read that and then watch him score. I jumped up off the couch, ran around the living room. I was just so jacked from watching him score at the end because you knew he was going to score. Uh, I don't blame Sporting's defense in the slightest, by the way. Wando has been scoring that exact kind of goal his entire career. So at this point, I think it might be because he knows what he's doing and it's not really the defense's fault at this point. No, seriously, though, I mean, he he knows what he's doing. He makes those runs every single time because, and, I, and you know it's him, because every time I've seen him score a goal, I think, what is the defense doing? But this is like the 165th, 167th time he's done this. So I think there's a bit of a common denominator here in that Wando's just better than everybody else. So to be fair, I, I think he's just, he's just so experienced. I mean, he knows what he's doing, you know? I'm going to bring it back to hockey for a yeah, second. Yeah, real dude. quick sort of give an idea of what it's like it's like Alex Ovechkin and him on the power play he's puts himself right at the top of the left circle you know what he's gonna do every single time snipe it top corner and every single time <laughs> he snipes anyway. the top corner yep. so that is Chris Wondolowski um and you'd think after what 15 20 years in the league that teams have been would have been able to figure out how to stop him but clearly they haven't Ivan what were you gonna say uh, so, yeah, I do want to say that I don't want to be overly pessimistic as I might have been in our group chat uh, earlier this week, earlier about this game. But it is a bit worrisome that both in the penalties that ensued after this game in the tide and as well as in the nature of the goals they conceded, a lot of their problems it doesn't seem to have been fixed by training because these are things that players of every team practice every day. And maybe that has been impacted by the weird schedule this season, but every team has been affected by that too. So I am definitely hoping that either through improving the existing personnel or preferably, but I'm not holding my breath because this is San Jose we're talking about, through player acquisitions, that that can be addressed in 2021. It'll definitely be interesting to see. But uh, Drew, I want to get your thoughts on the match before we move on to Minnesota-Colorado and then the Portland game before we do our previews, but we're an hour and two minutes in, so we should probably speed this up a little bit. Um, but what were your thoughts on the match very quickly? Yeah, I think for the most part, nothing new that hasn't already been said. I think Josh brought a really good point that Wondolowski just scores. There's like a brand of goal in Major League Soccer that when it happens, you're like, that's a very Wondolowski goal. And when you have a brand of type of goals scored, you know you're doing something right. So that was very 
Chris Wondolowski like. I like Ivan bringing up that Vancouver playoff game in 2017. I remember watching that game, and I had a, we had a toilet plunger in that game that we called <laughs> Set Piece Steve. And every time we held Set Piece Steve on a Set Piece, Vancouver scored. So I, I remember about that game. So thank you for bringing that Vancouver, one of the bright spots in the Vancouver Whitecaps history. I very much enjoyed that game. Um, but yeah, not a whole lot has been said. It was great. Wondolowski being Wondolowski, um, the best goal scorer this league's ever seen. And excited to see if, yeah, there's a lot of question marks around his future, but I think every MLS fan wants to see him play in the league and play at the level he plays at for as long as possible. But moving quickly to, again, a little more calmer for games. Still wasn't that calm because it ended 3 nothing. Uh, Minnesota United being Colorado 3 nothing. I think the scoreline wasn't fully justified. I thought Colorado should have at least scored one, maybe should have scored two. Um, but credit to Minnesota United when they had, they had their few opportunities, but when they did have their opportunities, they took advantage of them, something that Colorado was not able to do. So... I did get this pick wrong. I picked Colorado. I thought they were going to ride this wave in the regular season, but Minnesota said, uh-uh. They played Wonderwall in an empty stadium, which I still love. So credit to Minnesota United. They took advantage of their chances, and Colorado just couldn't put them away. Um, a crazy season for the Rapids, and ended in the playoffs. Um, even there was a lot of question whether or not they would be in the playoffs, so just bouncing back I think is really impressive given all that they had gone through. Um, so, Josh, what did you think about Minnesota's win over Colorado? Yeah, not a not a huge surprise here. You, you know, I, I was expecting Minnesota. To, I mean, they had the advantage of playing at home to an extent. I was just expecting them to sort of sit back and absorb whatever pressure Colorado was going to throw at them, and then take their chances, which they did. You know, you have Kevin Molino, who is very good, and he scored two of Minnesota's goals. And so, you know, at the end of the day, he took advantage of the the, the chances that they created. And uh, the Rapids are a very young, very inexperienced team traveling on the road. First time they've been in the playoffs in a couple years. So congrats to Minnesota on getting their first ever playoff win. And I, I do agree with you, though, Drew. You know, like you said, it's not it's not quite a respectful scoreline. Colorado did mess up a few chances. They had a few golden chances in there. So props to Minnesota for just, you know, I guess being the more experienced team in this case. And I'm excited to see what is going to happen. I believe they're playing Sporting Kansas City. They're on. They're in that corner of the bracket. So I'm very excited to see that game because I think Minnesota is going to upset them. Yeah, it's certainly possible. Uh, I want to mention the uh, Canadian backup goalkeeper, Tyler Miller, after the season. Dane St. Clair, he kept a clean sheet in the playoffs, which has to feel good if you're the Minnesota United organization to have that uh, accomplishment under his belt. And they've been missing a lot of players due to injuries this season, players like Heiko Parra and Oswaldo Alonso for periods. So overall, Minnesota had a tricky test against Colorado Rapids, who have been quite an amazing story when you take away the COVID stuff, which is very tricky and maybe problematic to do. But still, I, I was also among the people who thought that Colorado Rapids would have enough in the tank to go through this Minnesota team. And this is before this, I got all my predictions correct in the playoffs. This is where it starts to go down, downhill. But Minnesota United uh, once again get another knockout win after reaching the quarterfinals, I believe, of the MLS's back tournament. So they, no, semifinals because they beat San Jose Earthquakes in the quarterfinals. But, uh, yeah, underestimate Minnesota United at your own peril. I think that 
that's going to be a pretty good game against Sporting Kansas City. Yes, and I do want to mention uh, you said the two missed chances for Colorado. The only reason that they happened was because of my boy, Nicolas Benazé, and the second he came on the pitch, the tide kind of changed a bit uh, in Colorado's favor, and I think people give him not enough credit at all. Um, I think he's very talented, and people need to give him more props. But let's move on to our final match, uh, Portland FC Dallas, which, in my opinion, was the most shocking match in terms of an upset. Uh, I did not see this coming, and I don't think very many people did, based on the MLS multiplex pool. Um, But Portland lost on penalties to FC Dallas. The first 80 minutes of this match was Portland nonstop attacking, a couple of counterattacks from Dallas. Um, But apart from that, it was just an onslaught from Portland. And the fact that they didn't win this match in regular time is their own doing, their own fault. Uh, FC Dallas played much better come the 80th-ish minute. Uh, they obviously scored that the 17-year-old uh, Pepe, I believe is his name. Um, Pepe scored that. Mm-hmm. Pepe, Pepe, that's it. Uh, scored that 92nd, 93rd minute goal uh, to put Dallas uh, level with Portland, and then extra time it was just all Dallas. And yeah, I think Dallas. I think both teams would have deserved a win and Dallas ultimately came away with it, but we'll start with Josh. Um, What did you sort of think about this match and how do you think Portland played? How do you think Dallas played? Do you think Dallas deserved this win? What were your sort of thoughts on the match? Part of me thinks Dallas deserved it and and part of me doesn't. And, And the reason why is just obviously Portland is the better team overall on paper no matter how you look at it they are better than dallas even without sebastian blanco and uh yaroslav niazgoda that being said portland has a track record this season of conceding in the last 15 minutes of the game and that's exactly what they did so and and 12 minute champion on the espn broadcast they said it a bunch of times they kept telling the audience they're like hey portland has a history of conceding here at the end and, and it's exactly what happened so you know, I, I think in that regard, Portland probably should have won. Better team, outplayed Dallas overall. However, like you said, it was their own undoing. They allowed that goal to happen at the end, and they paid the price. I think this is typical for the Portland Timbers that when they win, they look very impressive, and they look like a team that can compete in any competition in North American soccer. But when they lose, it is due to because maybe they're complacent against a team that is weaker than them on paper. But, of course, this is the playoffs. There's going to be an upset happening at some point. I just didn't think that they would be the victims of it. But in penalties, uh, it's a coin flip sometimes. But FC Dallas played it very well. And in a marathon penalty shootout where nobody missed until the very end, uh, the FC Dallas had enough in the tank to outlast them. And it's sums up 2020 where Portland Timbers, they won the MLS's back tournament. And one of the two teams that weren't in that tournament were their undoing in the playoffs. All right. And Drew, do you have any sort of thoughts on the match before we move on to some of our previews and predictions uh, that I'm very excited about? 
Not a whole lot. I'm going to be honest with you guys. I fell asleep like in the 40th minute of this match, and I woke up to Ivan's message that Dallas went through. And I do want to say that I did pick Dallas to win that game. So I fell asleep in the 40th minute, but I got the wow. prediction right. So there you go, 2020 in a nutshell. Don't think about your picks, folks. Just make them and sleep during the game. You will always come out on the right end of that. But more games that I hope to not fall asleep through because they won't start at 1030 on a Sunday night. Uh, Toronto and Nashville. Uh, Nashville obviously winning the play-in game, so they're getting to play the two-seed in Toronto. Uh, Connor, I know you have a lot of thoughts of it, so we'll get to you in a second. Um, Toronto will have Richie Larea and Piatti available. Um, it's still unclear about Delgado Amoro, although... This could be um, Greg Vaney kind of keeping the cards close to his chest and kind of keeping us in the dark here. Um, did it last year with MLS Cup with Josie, and obviously that didn't turn out the way that Toronto wanted it to. So not sure what Greg Vaney's doing there, but we will see what happens. So, Connor, what do you think about Toronto's chances going into this game? How concerned are you about an upset for Toronto FC? Well, first of all, shout out to Michael Singh for that tweet because I didn't see it. Uh, and whoever put it in the doc, shout out to you. But he's a great follow in terms of the Toronto beat. Thank you, Josh. Uh, he's done some really good tweeting uh, in terms of following press conferences and stuff. So I recommend following him. Uh, but in terms of my thoughts on this match, having Piatti back, I think, completely changes my perception on it. Uh, while he may not be the most healthy shall I say he is still incredibly talented and he really brings something to the table that frees up Pozuolo and allows him to be a little bit more creative on the ball uh, so I think that'll be a huge addition I think having Lorea healthy following his injury scare I guess in the final match of the season that'll be really big uh, especially if Moro can't play because he's done pretty decently on the left uh, for Toronto or even on the right if they move Arrow to the left. But I think I like Toronto's chances, especially considering that Nashville are coming off of four days rest. Uh, I think they're going to be pretty tired, even though they played a pretty terrible team in Inter-Miami. Uh, four days is still a pretty quick turnaround when you consider that Toronto hasn't uh, played a match since decision day, so over a week ago. Um, but... Again, we don't really know. Uh, if Delgado plays, I think Toronto takes this in a walk. If they don't, I think it'll be a bit closer than I might like it. Uh, but I want to get your thoughts in a non-biased perspective. Um, specifically, I will start with Josh and get your sort of the thoughts on the match. But what do you think about Toronto's chances? What do you think about Nashville's chances after the Inter-Miami match? Um, where do you sort of stand on how you think this game is going to end up? Yeah, you know, Nashville are clearly riding high. They had that last-minute winner against Orlando City on decision day, and then they capitalized on their momentum with that drubbing of Inter-Miami that we all witnessed on Friday night. That being said, Toronto could roll out Academy kids, and I would still pick them over Nashville because they've been there, they've done that. I don't know why anyone would really pick against them in the, in the you know, looking at the fact they've been to three of the last four MLS Cups. Yes, it is MLS. Don't don't get me wrong, but if there's one thing more inevitable than MLS being chaotic, it's the fact that we're going to get Seattle and Toronto in the MLS Cup final. So, 
I I don't know how to pick against Toronto. And and again, you know, Nashville are well coached. They're playing well, but at the end of the day, Toronto just has the experience. They they know exactly what to do in these kinds of situations. And even last year when they were super beat up, they still made it all the way to the Cup final anyway. So I, I'm definitely going to pick Nashville or uh, sorry Toronto, regardless of who they throw on the field. All right, and Drew, what are your thoughts on the match? I disagree with Josh completely. I am very I'm picking right, Nashville. He's now getting them. kicked Nashville's off the call. Give the upset. <laughs> Defense wins championships. Oh, no. That's the only thing Nashville has going for them. You can't win if the other team if you you can't lose if the other team doesn't score. Defense wins championships. Nashville. They won three zero, and defense is the only thing they have going for them though. That I mean, they're scoring goals now too. Right, granted, it's Miami, it's not Toronto, but I, I'm not picking against them. Nashville. I think Nashville's the last team anyone wants to play in these playoffs. I think. Yeah, I mean. The defense is good, and it's if if San Jose can almost squeak through a win against Sporting Kansas City, I'm not picking Nashville. I'm not picking Toronto to beat Nashville. Nashville can do it. Crazier things have happened. Defense is going to go through on this one. Nashville goes through. Sorry, Connor. Your MLS Cup streak is done. I hope you know, you're wrong. Drew, um, Drew you for someone... Screen? Sorry? Sorry, Drew, for someone who claims to really enjoy MLS, you sound like someone who's never seen an MLS season... Post 2015. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest with you, I'm going to tell myself, dude, when they talk about history of MLS, like I came in like riding high with the Vancouver Whitecaps in that 2015 era, man. So you're on, you're, you're honestly, you're partially correct. So I'm going to tell myself I'm a young fan. So doesn't your fandom start the year that Toronto was good? Bro, my fan, the Whitecaps are pretty good then. Yeah, and Toronto went to MLS Cup and we'll forget about what happened in that game. All I'm saying is the one year Toronto didn't make MLS Cup is the year they didn't go to the playoffs in the last four years. That's all I'm saying. Granted, we went to Champions League final and one penalty away. Well, no, uh, even if they had made playoffs, they would have gone back to the MLS Cup final again. We all know this to be true at this point. You're not wrong. All right, so uh, my thoughts on this game... When I think of Nashville and New England as well going into tomorrow's games, uh, it reminds me of Prince of Egypt. You're playing with the big boys now. Like, that's great. You guys beat Montreal Impact and Inter-Miami. But Toronto and Philadelphia are different beasts, I think. And I think Nashville are one of the hot teams in the playoffs right now. One of the advantages of playing the playing game is that you get going into the playoff mode earlier than the teams that have the higher seeds or get a first-round bye. Uh, we've seen this happen in NFL a lot of times. However, this is Toronto we're talking about. You can't just dismiss their recent pedigree of making it to MLS Cups, almost like c- clockwork. So I think I'm going to lean toward Toronto winning this one. Yeah, and it's going to be interesting to see how Michael Bradley performs after his pretty poor finish to the season. And by pretty poor, I mean absolutely dreadful. Uh, And whether or not Toronto can get back into form after every injury happening to every player on the roster. And whether or not their, let's say, interesting defense can hold up against Nashville. Although when the biggest goal-scoring threat you have is Dax McCarty, I'm not necessarily that worried about your attacking. Uh, but let's move on to the next match because we're 78 minutes in and we still have two matches to talk about as well as all of our award stuff. Um, but 
Philadelphia versus New England Revolution. New England obviously beating Montreal to face Philadelphia, who are the one seed in the league and the East. Um, what do you guys think about this game? Do you think Philly still have this? Do you think New England could shock them? Um, what are your sort of thoughts on the match? We will start with Ivan. So I think that this is going to be a good match as well. I know I've said this for almost every game in the playoffs, but I think that just shows how good the season has been where there's been a lot of noteworthy teams. And the stat to watch out for, of course, is Philadelphia Union. They've been perfect at home this season. Granted, it's been a weird season, but still that's not a record to scoff at. And it's a big reason why that they did win the Supporters' Shield. So it's going to take a very special team and or a very special performance to end that streak. And do I think New England and Revolution have what it takes? Barring a masterclass from Matt Turner, which could be a fun goalkeeping duel as well between him and Andre Blake. Is Blake and, healthy? Uh, oh, right, right. He is expected to be is back. Is he healthy? Then? He is? Okay. Okay. Thank you, Josh. Um so that'll be an interesting matchup there. And then you have the likes of Bo and Carlos Gill to match up with the offensive talents of the Philadelphia Union. I think that these two match up pretty well. I think if Philadelphia Union do win, I could see this being penalties or maybe a one-goal win. But I do think that Philadelphia Union will at least get to the Eastern Conference Finals. And then you can start to worry about their home streak coming to an end for real. All right. Uh, Josh, what are your sort of thoughts on the match? Philadelphia and New England played five times this year. Philadelphia won four, and they drew the other one. And that's pretty much all I have to say about that. Philadelphia's at home. Would be shocked, or I'd be kind of shocked if they lost, only because it's MLS. So who would really be surprised if New England pulled off the upset? But, you know, track record shows that Philadelphia's just going to win. Were New England healthy for any of those matches? I would assume so, since those five matches were spread out throughout the course of the year. So at some point, there was probably... A healthy team i mean i see what you're saying like you know bow and, and heel but this isn't montreal that they're playing against they're going to be able to stop bow and heel and if you stop those two that's all that matters but buxa has not proven his worth quite yet he's still adjusting to the league especially in a crazy year so if you shut those two guys down you'll be fine so philadelphia's got it now that you've said that books is going to score a hat trick and we're all going to laugh at this podcast, but... i i would eat i would eat a hat I would eat a hat if Buxa scored a hat trick. <laughs> I'm, I'm saying it now. You guys can hold me accountable when we come back next week. All right. Hope you get a boiler. Not a candy hat, no, right? I have, a, I have a bunch of hats in my closet. I will eat a hat in front of you guys. All right. He will do that on the next podcast, and that might be the first video podcast we upload if it happens. But, Drew, what are your thoughts on the match? Hopefully you're not eating a hat by the end of this game. Uh, like Josh will be, but what are your sort of thoughts on everything that could happen in this match and whether or not Philadelphia will have that home winning streak come to an end? Well, currently my thoughts are right now, I don't know if you guys watched Jimmy Neutron as a kid, but there's that one episode yeah. when um, Carl Weezer hits a home. No, I think Jimmy, if someone hits a home run off the bully and he eats his hat on the mound as he's running the bases. So I'm imagining Josh <laughs> just saying, oh, eat my hat. But um, about the game itself, no, I'm going to be a little more boring with this game than I did my Nashville prediction. I think Philadelphia is just a class above everybody. So I think Philadelphia is going to win this. Um, like Josh said, five times Philadelphia has not lost. They have not lost at home all year, and I don't think that's going to start now. So I'm going to be boring and say Philadelphia is just 
the best team in the league by far, and I think it's going to show. Um, New England struggled with Montreal, so if you're struggling with Montreal, I'm not sure how you expect to beat Philadelphia. So I think Philadelphia's going to win that one. Um, but going over to the Western Conference, we have LAFC and Seattle. I believe it's the 2-7 and seven matchup, which is kind of crazy to think that LAFC is the 7 seed in the West, um, but nonetheless, that is what it is. As Seattle and LAFC meet again in the playoffs, it feels like these teams are playing all the time since LAFC got into the league. Um, but LAFC is not going to have Diego Rossi or Brian Rodriguez, uh, both COVID-19 test results. Um, and Seattle gets Raul Ruiz Diaz back. All signs are pointing to a Seattle win. So I'm going to be really boring again on this one. I think Seattle is going to win this one. Um, I think Seattle is just the better team. And these, obviously losing a player like Diego Rossi, uh, as much as we talk about him on this podcast for various reasons, losing the goal scorer like that, I think is not helping your chances. So I'm saying Seattle is going to win this. I don't think it's going to be a close one, um, but it's MLS, so we could see another penalty shootout for all we know. So I'm saying Seattle wins this one pretty easily. Connor, what do you think about this game? I think Seattle takes it because there's no Diego Rossi as much as Josh hates him and no Brian Rodriguez as well. Although it was announced just before we started recording that Seattle have had a first team player test positive for COVID. So we don't know who that is. If it's Nico Ladero, that might change things. But it is something to keep an eye on and we could be eating our words as Josh will be eating a hat next week. Um, But yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see how this match goes. I have Seattle personally because I think Seattle are unbelievable. I think that the playoff success that they've experienced will have them take this match very handily. I don't think LAFC, I think healthy LAFC have a shot without two of their best players. I don't think they have any shot. Now Now that I've said that, it's going to be an LAFC massacre. But yeah, I think Seattle will take this. Josh, are you going to be eating a shoe with this pick or are you just sticking with Seattle? I just want to say that I'm starting to have these visions of like Adam Buxa, like scoring in like the first 10 minutes. And then I'm gonna have to start Googling how to eat a hat, like in the middle of the game. I'm starting to get a little freaked out. (laughs) No, but, uh, I, yeah, I mean, I'm with you guys. I think Seattle wins. I mean, they just sort of have LAFC's number. They're and you know they're not they're not only missing Rossi and Rodriguez. They're missing Cifuentes and Hinella as well because mm-hmm. those are the Ecuadorian players that also tested positive. Uh, so not good for their international players. All four of them that left the team have come back with uh, positive tests. So they're also missing those players as well. They'll have Vela, they'll have BWP, they'll have Atuesta, and those are obviously difference makers, and it's going to help a lot. But yeah, I mean, again, Seattle's been here. They know what they're doing, and like you said, Connor, unless the person that tested positive is Ladero or Jordan Morris or Stephen Fry or even Raul Ria Diaz, if he's somehow caught it again in this short time, then I think Seattle will get through this. Um, and you also got to keep in mind, LAFC's track record in knockout tournaments is not great either. So gonna going to lean Seattle on this one. Seattle, on the other hand, are the complete opposite. And I'm speaking from experience, but Ivan, we'll wrap up the sort of predictions with you before we do our awards. So what are your thoughts on the LAFC versus Seattle Sounders match? I think it's going to be a dogfight for sure. Uh, 
here in San Diego, we have a big LAFC fan base that, of course, I'm not part of. But I do watch games with them because there is no, like, San Jose supporters group in San Diego. But uh, anyway, I know that they're going to be very nervous about this game. And they should be because it's Seattle in the playoffs. And I think that Seattle Sanders have been more consistent this season. And I think that consistency will get them over the line, whether it be a narrow regulation win, maybe extra time or penalties. I have a feeling we got one more penalty shootout at least in these next three games, given how the first five have gone. But in any way, shape, or form, Seattle Sanders will find a way to win this, and then we'll see how they do against Dallas in the next round should they get it done. Fingers crossed that penalty shootout isn't the Toronto FC match because we don't exactly have the best record, shall we say, over the last few years. And we don't want you to get a heart attack either. That is also an issue that could very, very, very possibly happen. Um, But we'll move on and wrap up with our awards uh, because we've been going for 87 minutes. (laughs) We need to wrap this podcast up. Um, But let's start with Players of the Week. Uh, I will get mine out of the way quickly because it's the only correct pick. Rodrigo mother-effing Schlegel because he is a god and saved a penalty as a outfield player and he is the best player available um but drew let's go with you next who is your player of the week yeah i went a little more boring than connor's pick um i went kevin molino he had two goals against colorado and like we talked about in that game i thought minnesota didn't have a whole lot of chances but when they did have their chances they put them away and kevin molino was a very big part of that so credit to Molino, two good finishes, two good goals to get them past Colorado, even though it kind of felt like Colorado was running the match there for a little bit. So I went with Kevin Molino. Ivan, who did you have as your player of the week? Uh, I'm going to tip my hat to my opponent this week. Uh, it's got to be Tim Melia. Uh, three penalty saves in the penalty shootout to give Sporting Kansas City a 3-3 regulation score, a 3-0 penalty win, and... I hope that maybe, just maybe, I know he's getting up there in age compared to a lot of the players in the pool in the U.S. men's national team right now, but I think he deserves consideration for the January camp at least. I think he should make the World Cup roster and be play the Tim Krul role on oh. the Netherlands because if the U.S. ever go to a penalty shootout, they will win because Tim Melia is next level. But Josh, wrap us up. Who or you've already said yours, haven't you? We've all said ours. I I did. It. It's fine. It. Okay, that's cool, man. <laughs> I'm tired. It's late. But who is your player of the week? I picked Dax McCarty, even though Blaze McTweedy acted as a traffic cone on his wonderful <laughs> run towards goal and shot. I st- still took a bit of still took a bit of skill on McCarty's part, but uh, I thought he deserved a shout for his leadership, and then obviously just a. A good run and a good finish. All right. And we'll finish off our awards before we do a quick bracket update uh, and get out of here. What are your goals of the week? I will start, I guess, because why not? Um, Randall Leal's banger is what I went with uh, because that was a screamer. And I physically screamed to the point where my dog thought I was in physical danger and started jumping on me. Um, But... (laughs) Yeah, so that goal was insane, and I'm lucky to have claimed it the night of, even though I was 
worried that there might be three more insane goals scored. But Ivan, we'll go with you next, and we'll wrap up with Drew and Josh uh, before we do our bracket update. What is your goal of the week? Honorable mention to Wando's equalizing goal, of course, but I'm going to go with uh, Gustavo Bo's goal that saw New England Revolution beat the Montreal Impact. That was also a very impressive goal, and it definitely helped New England Revolution extend their season. So hats off to Bo, who has been one of, if not the their most important player in the last couple of seasons. All right, Josh, we'll start with you and then finish off with Drew. Yeah, I went with Wando. Wando forever. Similar to you with Leal, I jumped up and ran around my living room just so jacked up, <laughs> screaming all around. I'm not, you know, watching Wando clearly blacking out on the field now that we know that that's what happens when he scores his goals. So that was definitely my goal of the week. All right, and Drew, who'd you pick? Uh, I win the same route as Ivan. I said Gustavo Bo's winner. Um, yeah, good strike. And Connor, do you just want to say that you will not – that's not the last Randall Leal goal that you will be seeing. <laughs> so get ready because they're coming more and more. So you will see another one. Um, but now, yeah, as we get into brackets, this fun part, I think I'm in last. I'm talking all this time about Nashville. Up to <laughs> I'm, in, I'm not in dead last. Why not? The website. Team chaos. I'm only. Yeah, right. Um, I, I think you guys have three right. I have two right. I, I was the only one who got the uh, Dallas Portland one right. Mm-hmm. But what games did you guys get wrong? No one's perfect on the website, so that's good. None of us are getting the magical perfect bracket. But what games did you guys get wrong? Because I got the two Eastern Conference games wrong. I got Orlando and the other Eastern Conference game. Wrong. I got Minnesota wrong and I got Portland wrong. I missed Portland and I missed San Jose. That that was supposed to be my different from everybody else pick, having San Jose over. Sporting Kansas City. Almost got. Yeah, exactly. No, I was really close with both of those being penalty shootouts. And obviously, if San Jose was even like slightly capable of defending (laughs) on set pieces, then we'd be having a different conversation. I and I finished off getting Portland, and I got Colorado wrong. Uh, My boys broke my heart. But uh, with that, I guess we could finish off the bracket talk with who's currently winning, which is Ryan Mativier, who is from. MLS Multiplex, uh, Nathan, I'm not sure which Nathan it is, uh, and then a listener, I presume, or maybe a follower of the Tectonic Plates podcast, which uh, Ivan co-hosts, uh, Saul, uh, is also leading the way with 40 points, so four correct, so shout out to all of them, uh, but we have no perfect brackets, but Drew, let's wrap up this 93 minute, by the end of this outro probably 94 minute long marathon of an episode yeah thanks guys so much for listening um as we talked about a crazy weekend in mls and i'm sure we will have another crazy weekend so please be sure to tune in next week um and in the meantime be sure to tune in on social media to the website at mls multiplex myself at underscore drew hubbard connor connor at cwg somerville Josh at Josh underscore Bolin and Ivan at Ivan Ornelas too. Um, and please visit the website MLSmultiplex.com as writers keep up to date um, whether their team is out of the playoffs or still in the playoffs. Our writers are cranking out really good stuff through these crazy playoffs. So be sure to check out the website um, and please leave reviews on the podcast. We love hearing from you guys, hearing how we can get better, what we can improve on. So we really love hearing from you guys. 
Um, so yeah, thank you guys so much, and be sure to tune in next week as we wrap up. But it's sure to be another crazy week of the night. Thank you for listening to the MLS Multiplex Podcast. Check out all of the contributors' written work at MLSMultiplex.com. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.